Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. You can have a seat wherever you find yourself. If we had not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Austin. I have the pleasure of being on staff here at The Rim. We're continuing today our sermon series called Awaken. Specifically this month, we're praying and we're fasting together and asking that God would, who would move and awaken within us. So while we've been reading Luke 10, 1 through 12 every week, it's because that's what Jesus, we believe, has sent us out to do. He's not just sent the 72 disciples when he was walking on earth, but that's the call that he has given us today. So we're reading that every week as a reminder, and this is the call that Jesus has put on our life. So as we're praying and we're fasting this month, we're walking through what we call these bless rhythms, which are five kind of everyday rhythms to help you actually engage the people around you. So our prayer is that as we pray and fast, we wouldn't just pray and fast passively, but how do we actually begin to engage the people we're praying and fasting for? You actually see in Luke 10, if you do 1 through 12, if you do a study, you'll see each of these different rhythms even in that text and in that story. So if you're here for the first time and you haven't hopped into praying and fasting with us, it's not too late. Uh, we've still got half a month left to go. We'd love to invite you to pray and fast with us for the rest of the month. There's some resources that will be over at the New Here space at the end of our gathering. We'd love to invite you to hop in with us. So week one, we looked at the, the first letter, which is this idea of beginning in prayer. It's this idea that we believe Jesus is actually already at work. He's going before us. We don't actually do the heavy lifting. Jesus is going before us, and he's inviting us to join him and what he's doing. So we breathe in prayer by asking God, where is he already at work, and how can we join him? And we breathe out prayer by praying for our neighbors. And this season, we're, we're asking that you would identify eight people to specifically be praying for and fasting for. So you, we breathe out prayer by praying for those people by name. Last week, Lashad absolutely blessed us, pun intended. Uh, he led us in this, the second letter, which is listen and engage. That we'd be people that ask questions and try and see what's the story God is already writing in this person's life. That we wouldn't come to the conversation ready to just give advice because we want our voice to be heard, but we would listen. What has God already been doing in this person's life? So we breathe in listening by listening to God's word, his spirit, people, and places. And then we breathe out listening by engaging God's word, his spirit, people, and places. And so it's out of this posture of listening, we actively move towards relationships with our neighbors. So today, we find ourselves kind of in the middle of these blessed rhythms, which for a lot of people, this may be your favorite letter, and it's this idea of eating. So today, we're not going to try and reinvent the wheel. I'm going to try and convince you that you should eat food. Like That's something that we all collectively do. But while we have this conversation around eating together, I do want to give a disclaimer, because I don't, I don't think it would be right to have a conversation about food and sharing meals with people without also recognizing, for a lot of people in the room here today, Conversations around food may actually be unhelpful for you. Maybe you've struggled with an eating disorder or you're allergic to a lot of foods, which makes the conversation around food actually kind of difficult. Like, yeah, I see Jesus 
spent a lot of times at meals with people, but man, I just literally can't. There's some things that, some imbalances in my body that cannot do that. So as we have this conversation around food, and that's you in the room, but you have freedom to contextualize to where you're at, to see even beyond maybe even the word literally of eat or meal to this idea of the table. This idea of eating together and sharing a meal, it's really this return to sharing a table with other people. So as we dive in together this morning, that's where you find yourself. There's no shame. It's my invitation. Just look at eat as something that is contextual to you, what Jesus has for you. So as we have a conversation around eating today, I'm going to pick, uh, pick up from where Lashad left off last week. I'm going to try some more dialogue this morning. Uh, so I just want to ask this question. Do you think eating together matters? Why or why not? Okay, you answered yes. Why or why not? We eat often. Okay. Why else do you think eating together matters? Brings connection. Okay. Time spent together. That's great. One more time. Puts us on the same level. Yeah, you're at this table. There's this common thing. There's no, no one's elevated. Yeah. Yeah, what else? Stories. Okay, you get to hear stories. Yeah, that's great. Maybe one or two more. Vulnerable, so you get to be vulnerable. Listening. We had to practice listening. No, that's great. I love it. So if you take a close look at the life of Jesus, you'll notice that a lot of his ministry was, sit, was spent sitting at a table with people. If you look at the book of Luke, really Luke is this story of 10 meals that Jesus has over the course of the book of Luke. And Jesus spent so much time eating meals with people. The Pharisees in Matthew 11, so they said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, yet, they say look, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Jesus spent so much time eating with people that they called him a glutton and a drunkard. Like that much of his ministry was spent across the table from people. If you think about it, we'll get this at the end. The very last activity of Jesus with his disciples is sitting at a table with them, sharing a meal. Like of all the things that Jesus could have done as the last hurrah with his disciples, it was to sit at a table and share a meal. So Jesus really valued meals. So to help us understand why, we've already begun the conversation, the table was such an important part of Jesus' ministry. We're going to look at one of those actual table moments from the book of Luke. So if you have a copy of your scripture, I invite you to meet me in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 36 through 50 together. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And since I know he has a a beautiful voice on the mic, Elijah, could I put you on the spot and have you read? (laughs) He's not happy with me. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus 
sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster bat flask of fragrant oil, and stood at, at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, I want you to take just another second just to keep looking back through that scripture. What do you see happening in this text, and in this story, and in this encounter at a table? What do you guys see? Okay, people of different backgrounds, okay? Judgment, okay, people kind of judging one another, okay, yeah. Worship, yeah. Teaching, okay. Desperation, yeah, that's really good. Now, what else do you guys see happening in this story? Forgiveness, washing of feet, okay. Jesus is invited to a meal, yeah, so they're at a meal, they're at a table. And what else? Teaching, yeah. Humility, okay. Anybody else? Forgiveness, resting. That's what you said, right? Resting, yeah. 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 There's a parable, okay. Yeah. A story, a little story, yeah. Worship, yeah. Or one or two more. Broken customs, okay? Yeah. Maybe one more. What do you see in the story? Trust in God, okay? Anybody else? Jesus was approachable. 
Okay, so this idea of the Pharisee invited Jesus, but the woman actually hosted him. Uh, he wasn't actually facilitating his home. It was a, yeah, he was a popular guy. I want you to be here, but the woman is actually the one that's, that's showing him hospitality. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Any last, any last from anybody else? But seeing by faith? Saved by faith, okay. Self-righteousness? Okay, that's great. I love this. The beautiful thing is when you look at Scripture in community, I believe that each of us have a different spiritual gifting. That when you read Scripture in community, you actually see different parts of the story that you would not see alone. That's why it's really important to read Scripture and understand it, not just for yourself, but in community. It actually elevates your understanding of what God is trying to say. And you guys all hit this. But in this story, it's important to notice this is all at a meal and at a dinner table where you see people from two totally different social classes sitting at the same table. People that would probably would never have sat together are sitting together at a table, and there's judgment on one end. But then there's this conversation that happens. And what I love about Jesus, the gospel becomes tangible becomes real to the people sitting at the table. So through the parable, he's speaking in a way that the Pharisee could, could understand. But he's also speaking in a way that the woman could understand as well. The gospel at a table, there's, there's no one that's elevated. The gospel actually becomes good news. As you're sharing a meal, and you're, it's tangible. It's about dialogue, not just opinion. So there's a, an immediate judgment that's made. But then Jesus actually goes on to create this dialogue I'm not just allowing, hey, I don't, actually, I don't want to just let it sit there, what, what your opinion is. Let's actually have a conversation and a dialogue. So the table is a place where we get to have conversation, not just opinion. I'm going to talk about why our world is so broken today. So many people are divided. We've lost the ability to sit at a table. It's a lot harder to hate someone when you've sat across a table and you've shared a meal or a coffee with them and actually heard not just their mind, but you've heard their heart. It's totally different. You can still disagree. I'm sure the Pharisee and this woman probably fundamentally disagreed after this encounter. But there's this opportunity to see one another's hearts. And we see that there's this healing that happens at the table. Well, I just imagine, I don't know how many tables this woman may have been invited to be at. Or her identity gets restored. As the gospel becomes tangible, as we're sitting at a table, identities get restored. So it's at the table that we're reminded that God isn't just out there, but he's here. God is present. He's a father that sees us. He's a provider. It's at the table where the character of God meets our needs and our longings in community. See, Jesus activated his table as a place for ministry and belonging but if you look at the Old Testament, God had always been activating the table and using it to reveal his character and showing the significance of it for hundreds of years. When God gives the people of Israel instructions to build the tabernacle, and the temple, listen to what he says. This is from Exodus and Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses, make a table of acacia wood two cubits long, a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. And then in Leviticus, 
Take fine flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using two-tenths of an ephah for each loaf. Set them in two rows, six in each row, and on the table of pure gold before the Lord. Along each row, put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and be an offering made to the Lord by fire. Listen to this. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons, the priests, who are to eat it in a holy place because it is a most holy part of the regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. So part of setting up the tabernacle is God says, hey, there's going to be a very special table that I'm creating. And on that table is going to go the bread of presence. And on the Sabbath, when the priests go in, they're the only ones that are allowed to eat of this bread. And I was reading this week, I'd never heard this before, a scholar named Peter Cohen, and he points this out. The bread of presence in Hebrew literally translates to bread of faces, okay? But so it's this idea of that in eating of this bread, God's actual face is becoming known. It's actually coming near. That his character, his presence, and his dwelling would be revealed and manifested throughout the community. It was a symbol of partaking in the word of God and the presence of God. So the priests, they were the representatives of the people before God, and then God before the people. So they would symbolically enter the tabernacle or temple, would eat the bread on behalf of the people, and then they would come out and make what God was known and what he was like to the people. But here's what's crazy. Peter would say this about us. You yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're called priests today. That we now represent God to the world around us. That just as the priest symbolically, symbolically entered into the temple and ate the bread of presence and ministered to the people around them, we now participate in that same duty and responsibility. We eat the, we've eaten the bread of life, that is Jesus. And now it's at the table that we make his face known. That as we sit at a table, God's nature and his character becomes known in ways that are relevant, in ways that are good news. What once took place in the tabernacle now takes place at our dinner table. So I just want to this question. What would it look like to activate your table? What would it look like to activate your table? Lisa Schaefer puts it this way. The table is a symbol of family, community, and faithful presence. It's a symbol of our deep desire to be known and be loved. It's a symbol that we see throughout Scripture as a place where God dwells with and provides for His people. God sets a table for us and joins us around it. 
As I was doing research this past week, I came across a TED Talk that talked about eating, and there are some pretty interesting statistics that came out of this TED Talk. I'll share a couple of them with you. So there's a study of college students who chose to eat in community at the University of British Columbia. And through this study, there are four things that reveal the benefits of having even company, having other people at your table when you're eating. Number one, they had healthier healthier eating habits. Number two, they had better social support and connection. Number three, they had better academic performance. Number four, there was lower risk of substance abuse, all from just sharing a meal with other people consistently. The studies would show that if you share meals in the workplace together, it ultimately builds trust, efficiency, and morale. But how are we actually doing sharing meals together? We're sitting at a table together. I say we all would say universally, hey, that is important. But what's the actual reality of our lives? There was a study from England in 2017. So I know it's a little dated, but it's not like we've had some global pandemics since 2017. So I'm guessing the statistics are probably actually more than what they are in this study. But in 2017, uh, they showed that the reality of that a third of weekday dinners are eaten alone. The average adult eats 10 out of 21 meals alone every week. That 69% of people had never shared a meal with one of their neighbors. And that 37% had never eaten as a community group. Those statistics are pretty like, wow. If I began to view my neighbors and the people around me, like there is a 70% chance they've never shared a meal with another neighbor. I know I haven't shared a meal with them, so there's a high likelihood that if me as a follower of Jesus and I'm living into this calling to be a blessing, to make God's face known in the world around me, there's a high probability they've probably never shared a meal with anybody else in this neighborhood. So where do we go from here? As the body of Christ, how do we reconcile this? We talked about this in week one. Each of these rhythms has a breathing in rhythm and a breathing out rhythm. So it begins by breathing in meals, by eating with your family. That's both spiritual family and your nuclear family. That meals are a daily reminder of our common need for God and his provision. So we regularly eat meals with other followers of Jesus for the express purpose of not only sharing food, but community and truth. We said this before, out of all the things Jesus could have done with his disciples in their last encounter, he had a meal. He sat down at the table with them. And we can't offer to other people what we have not experienced ourselves. That if we haven't learned to love others, we haven't learned how to love and honor one another at the table and be present, it's going to be really hard to begin to do that to the watching world around us. But because we have eaten the bread of life, We now get to sit at the table and be intentional with our family. Not just, hey, how was your day? Yes, you should totally ask that question. I get in trouble when I don't ask that question. But, hey, let's actually go to the heart. What is God doing in your your heart life? What are you stressed about? What are you worried about? That at the table we begin to encourage one another. There would be good news that God's face would actually become present. When we begin telling the truth of what's going on in our lives, 
The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. There's freedom we get, when we begin to be honest about what's going on in our lives. So we begin by breathing in meals with our family, and then it moves to we breathe out meals by eating regularly with your neighbors. We invite our neighbors or our eight people that we're praying for, that we'd actually, uh, those God's place in us, in our proximity, our workplace, our community, into community and into the experience of grace that's at the table. The easiest way to do this, I'll, I'll say, is to have a predictable pattern where you know that, hey, there's something on the calendar every week that neighbors can start to plan with, neighbors can start to count on. Uh, I, my wife and I are not anything special, but we feel super called to our neighborhood. And so even in the season, we're praying or fasting for our neighbors. We've had this predictable pattern for the last year where for our neighbors that don't go to church and don't walk with Jesus on Friday nights, we have dinner and game night. And we just kind of are creating community where there have been neighbors in our living room that live four houses down that have met in our, our living room. Because we're going, hey, this, these statistics are most people have not shared a meal together. And this would have I recognized just a couple weeks ago, I was praying on the people God's put in our neighborhood, and he's called us to bless. And over the last year, we've had 30 neighbors in our home. Not because we're awesome, but just we go, hey, on Friday nights, this is just a predictable pattern that we have in our, in our home. As we're walking our, our new puppy, as we meet somebody new, we're trying to invite them to our, to our game night on Fridays. Like, that's just the rhythm that we have together. It's nothing like... Fancy, it's just, hey, we have a predictable pattern and we want to be intentional with the people that God has placed around us. We talk about tithing a lot in church. But I wonder what it would look like to not just tithe your money, but to tithe your meals. It comes out to roughly two meals or meal times a week. What might we see God do if we committed to having meals together. There's typically right around 300 people in the room on Sundays here. If each of us committed to tithing our meals, even for the next year, that'd be over 28,000 meals. 28,000 moments where God's face might become present and known, that his character would be more discovered, both as we breathe in with other believers, but also as we breathe out to people that may have not walked with Jesus yet. So how can we always have room at the table? Maybe here are a couple questions to ask yourself. Who can you eat with or have coffee with that's far from God? Then is there a place that you regularly visit, a coffee shop or a gym? Would you ask God to grant you opportunities to eat with people there? I don't go as much as I used to, but I used to go to Merit all the time. Uh, and I used to just try and get to know the baristas. And just through everyday, ordinary conversation, we began a couple of them sharing meals. So I played, one of them taught me how to play disc golf, not because I'm great at any of those things. It's just, hey, I want to try and begin to pray for these people and just join Jesus in the place that I'm already going to be at. I might as well be here and be intentional. I've just, Jesus, it's not everyone that may accept your invitation, but who are the people that Jesus is highlighting? You don't have to go and force yourself on a bunch of people. Jesus is probably only highlighting one or two people. Would you stick with them? Would you invest in them? So here's how all this begins to fit together. We begin in prayer by asking God where he's at work and how we can join him. 
We listen to the stories of people around us that we're praying for. And as we listen to people's stories, we begin to share a table with them. We're invited to make God's face present. To begin to speak good news into their life. So today, we're actually going to practice breathing in together with communion. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to break into our traditional groups of three, three to four. I want you just to share what's going on in your life, super briefly. Maybe what's something that's stressing you out right now? What's something that's weighing heavily on your heart? And after everybody shares that, you would actually begin be able to pray over one another the character of God, the nature of God, His goodness, that as we take communion, that God's face might actually become present in community as we take communion. So our communion people are going to grab the communion stuff as they come up. Uh, I'll, I'll dismiss us to that in just a second. But this next week, our opportunity for engagement is to practice by breathing in meals with your family, your friends. But then would you actually begin practicing breathing out meals with maybe your neighbors or those eight people that, that you're praying for in this season? And then watch what God does. And just a little bit at the end of our gathering, we're going to hear stories about how it went listening. The next week, we'll hear stories of, hey, how did it go when you actually got to share meals with people in community? So what I'm going to do is in your group of two to three, I'm going to invite maybe one representative from your group. Uh, Andre is right here. He's got a community cup. I want to have all the community people. If you come to the speakers on the floor, I think that will be the easiest way to do it. But one representative from your group, would you come and get communion for the rest of your group and then come back and just share, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I'm struggling with or what I need prayer for. And then pray for one another. Administer communion to one another. And then we will continue to worship after that. So go ahead, send a representative, get communion, and then you'll take communion in those groups. so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.